evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and in what was a tale of two halves, it was the Demons who stamped their authority on the match, taking another top eight scalp to further stake their claim at the top of the ladder and bolster their credentials as a genuine contender for September glory. Here at the Demon Land podcast, we're keeping that lid closed, well, perhaps slightly ajar and taking it one week at a time. Joining me tonight, long-time Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, everyone on, in Demonland and uh, 11 wins. And when we're talking about lids, I'd like to quote uh, old D during the week who said that councils throughout Melbourne are complaining to the Melbourne Football Club about the lids that are littering the streets. So I, I saw a, uh, I saw a, f- a funny tweet. Someone had said, you know, the demon's lids uh, well and truly off. I saw a guy going for a run in his full demon attire and then he mentioned that he lives in Brooklyn, New York. So uh, <laughs> good when, to hear. I read that and he said that he was in the full Melbourne playing kit, not just attire. Yes, yes, so that's I, what I mean. From that I had a vision of someone in Melbourne footy socks and shorts and hopefully the Indigenous jumper, that would have been impressive. <laughs> wasn't wasn't that Indigenous uh, and welcome to you, Bin Man. Uh, uh, welcome. Good evening. Um, and a good evening, Demonlanders and George. <laughs> How, how awesome is that, Guernsey? I really, really like I think it's one of the best uh, Indigenous. I've loved all the Indigenous ones, but uh, that was certainly one of the best. Oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It was just really magnificent jumper, and um, I'm definitely going to get one. Yeah, apparently they're all sold out uh, from what I've heard, so uh, good luck uh, trying to uh, source one. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they'll uh, make it available at some point again because uh, it yeah. was a beauty. Yeah, all right, guys, uh, this was uh, – oh, before I start that, uh, uh, you want to give us a call tonight, talk about uh, anything uh, that we're going to chat about tonight. Uh, lots to talk about, uh, 03 uh, Give us a call or join us in the chat room, demonland.com slash podcast. Uh, guys, uh, this was the definition of a game of two halves, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Our our first half was riddled with errors, atrocious entries, I thought, into the Ford 50, being well beaten in the clearances and losing the aerial battle with the Lions up forward in their forward line. I thought that the score line to half time flattered us and we could easily have been down by more we were 20 points down at the main break, and that was on the back of having 14 less inside 50s, 18 less clearances, 11 less contested possessions, and 656 less stoppage uh, metres gained. Conversely, uh, we came out after halftime, a completely different team, hell-bent on avenging, and I quote uh, Christian Petrarca, a boring style of play. Uh, we produced a 42-point turnaround, won the inside 50s uh, by 17, the clearances by 10, the contested possessions by 17, and the stoppage metres gained by 756, and the net result uh, was a 22-point win, which I thought flattered the Lions. I really thought we uh, could have beaten them by more. Um, B-Man, I thought I would get your thoughts on what was happening in the first half, and then George, perhaps get your thoughts on what happened to turn it around. So take it away, B-Man. Yeah, I, I mean... Just sort of before going through that first quarter, um, before the game, I was um, thinking in terms of I was really surprised that the bookies had them as favourites. Um, and, you know, the, obviously the, um, the betting line is not the be-all and end-all, but it's generally a pretty accurate guide. Um, I would have had his favourite coming into that match. Um, 
because we were just basically the form side. I know they'd won seven straight, um, so they're clearly in form, but they've only won the two games um, outside of... They'd only won the two games outside of Queensland, and that remains the same. We're 10-1. The only game we lost was a point. We're the best side in the competition, having beaten three of um, genuine flag contenders and four, if you count the Swans. I thought the dimensions of the uh, Giants Stadium would suit us as well, um, at least in terms of how we can set up our defence and our structure. It's a bit longer than the G, but it's only 128 wide as opposed to the G being 138 wide. So I, I figured that the Lions had find it hard to transition and get through our zones um, just like the Dogs did and that, you know, again, we'd look to block the corridor. Um, and, you know, I was, so I was a bit sort of confused or surprised that we weren't favourite because we're the benchmark um, and I thought, you know, they're the challenges. So, you know, I think that, as I said last week, one of the advantages that we have um, and we have it over every other team, I think, is that, um, teams may find it hard to negate our strength where we can negate other teams' strengths much more effectively. So whilst they play a bit differently to the Bulldogs, they're more deliberate, less frenetic, They, you know, and we saw that in the game. They're more patient in the way they move the ball. Um, but their key strength is to score from stoppages, but their focus is stoppages around the ground as opposed to set and clear um, stoppages. So my thought was that if we could stop that um, um, and you know, halve our round-the-ground stoppages at the very least, um, then we'd go a long way to winning that game because we're taking away their strength. I mean, our strength is our our defensive structure and, of course, you could um, do what they ended up doing, which was try to negate that um, by running someone on lever, um, looking to shut Salem out of it. Um, but their deliberate ball movement, the way they um, moved the ball was really about um, making sure that they didn't dump kick it into our back half. So I think at the end of the first half, perhaps at the end of the first quarter, we only had two intercept marks, which was just, you know, in their planning. That's what they would have planned for. Takes Lieber out of it, takes um, May out of it. Um, but, you know, that that's a sort of defensive – that's – Stopping a defense is um, harder than, well, less impactful than stopping an offense. So if we could, you know, in coming to the game, if we could stop them scoring around the um, from stoppage clearances, um, you know, much less focus on the sort of sand and clearances than we against the dogs, then they'd struggle to score. And um, and so and you know, there's no reason why we wouldn't stop um, match any team around the ground stoppages really with our midfield and with Max. Um, but for me, all of that was predicated on us bringing the, the pressure and the defensive spread. So um, for me, that was what happened in the first half is that I think with stats, um, it's quite interesting looking at stats, but I think it's easier to, it's better to look at stats as a symptom, not a cause. Um, so um, the clearance number, they're a, they're a clearance team um, um, that, that, and they just couldn't really generate scores from their clearances. So, uh, and the critical thing coming into the game, I thought, would be winning contests. Um, but this season, the Lions ranked fourth for contested possessions, seven more contested um, than the opposition. But we're third and we averaged 12. So that's five more um, contests. So for me, it was all about who would win the contests and that if we could stop them scoring around the stoppage and win the contest and bring out defensive running and spread, um, we'd be too good for them. Um, but in short, what happened in that first half is that we didn't win the contests. Um, and I think that it's really hard to see on television, as we've said any number of times. But I just don't think our defensive spread was there. Um, we weren't running as hard as we um, have done um, to cover. 
I feel like um, our defensive back half is a little bit sort of was a little bit at sea there for a little while. And I wonder with the way they've brought Petty in, um, that, that they seem to be a bit more fluid, who plays on who. Um, it seems to be less sort of the same each week. And you could see it sort of um, Petty ended up on McStay a few times and Hipwood, and they were rotating those players. Um, and Bailey really had an amazing first half. And, you know, I think that sort of small forward is a real um, – always been a problem for us. And with uh, Hibbert having to play on Cameron, um, that left Bailey um, up and about by himself. And he, he was amazing in that um, second half. He had um, – to half time. he had 12 disposals, 83% efficiency, five inside 50s and three goals. And two of those goals were really – one was brilliant where he kicked it out of the air, but both his first two goals really he was just given way too much um, um, space. So, um, but the thing that I, I thought Andy was that really kept us in the game was only being twenty points down. So I think that you know whilst you could say well we should have been further ahead, I think it's a credit to our system and how we played that we weren't. Um, that Brisbane have scored outscored its up. Opposition by 15 points per game from clearances this season, and almost almost all of them from around the ground, um, which is number two in the AFL. Um, but at half time, despite their dominance um, around the ground in clearances, um, well, in the centre where we definitely gave them up, um, our focus is on the thing. They only scored three more points. They had two goals, three fifteen at half time from stoppages to our two goals. Um, and the other thing they couldn't do is turn their dominance. Um, of um, um, their inside 50 count. They had um, in the, pretty much from the 10-minute mark of the first quarter, they dominated possessions. I think in that next 10 minutes of play, they had um, they 31 to 13 um, disposals. They dominated the inside 50 count, 10 to 3, I think, in that, that, that quarter um, in that little burst. Um, but they could only score two goals from that, that um, dominance. So uh, part of that's our shape. Part of that's um, how um, we held up. Um, so I think really, you know, in some ways, whilst we're brilliant in that second half, we won that game by only being 20 points down at half time. Um, and, you know, I, I think two years ago, we would have been six or seven goals down um, at that point um, to for them to dominate the stats like the way they did and only being 20 points down. And it wasn't as if they missed shots. They were they kicked some beautiful goals. Hipwood's goal from outside 50 um, was amazing. I think the main thing that, you know, their other strength is they're marking up forward. Um, they've got a fantastic forward line. That's, you know, that's why they're averaging 95 or 96 points a game. Um, if you look at it, the way they scored, a lot of their marks were um, the kick inside 50 was under a uh, little pressure. So I think we weren't so good this week. We've been brilliant at um, setting up on the mark and having a player on the corridor, um, being really quick to um, to run to the to the player and put pressure on them. Um, a lot of their kicks inside fifty that got marked um, by Wood and Danaher and others, they were kicked under fair with not much pressure, um, which meant that uh, um, obviously you could kick it better into their fifty, and they really took advantage of that. But they really couldn't dominate. They couldn't take advantage of the clearances they were winning. So. I thought to have only scored a couple of goals from clearances. We both scored two goals from clearances to half time was a, a huge factor. So, and you know, for me, 
the thing that was most impressive about that whole game, game of two halves, and I would say that there was the first half, um, there was a standout player for us in Petrarca, and in the second half, or George will talk at the second half, but there was another one, and right through the game, Maxi was the other player. We talked last week about how important it is to have, um, you know, your A-grade players in the team. Those three are the best three players in our team by, well, they're, they're all three A-grade players. We've got other good players. Uh, and I thought Petraka was just awesome in that first half, as was Maxi as well, but particularly Petraka, his consistency right through that match. And I feel like if he wasn't playing to the level he was, we would have, uh, you know, we could have gone in at halftime being five, six goals down, and then we would have been in big trouble. Um, the fact that we we're only 20 points down, you know, I actually, funnily enough, felt more nervous um, in that game than I did, um, sorry, in the Adelaide game than this one because we just hadn't got it together yet. We hadn't started attacking. Um, we hadn't started moving the ball, which was what Track's comment about, sorry, um, yeah, Track's comment about boring movement. Um, we hadn't got going and pushing that that game forward. Um, and so I thought, you know, we had a bit in the tank. So I was actually quite confident that we would turn it around in the second half. And, um, you know, in, in I would argue that we set it up in the first half by being in that game. George, you want to uh, you want to talk about how we turned it around? Indeed, I, I think uh, Binman summed it up beautifully um, when we review that first half and what the coaches said at halftime. We were we were only twenty points down, effectively three goals, um, and we at that time we were being beaten at the contest. And um, I certainly felt that the defensive structures. Uh, had were not working as they had been in the past, and when I say defensive structures, people you know focus too much on Lever, May, and Petty. The defensive structures start halfway up the ground, or even three quarters of the way up the ground, and the ball was getting into the Brisbane uh, forward line far too easily, and, and uh, uh, people like Hipwood and, and Danaher were getting good runs at the ball because it was coming in so easily, and uh, also uh, uh, Bailey as well. Um, this was a, a game in which, uh, you know, it was 1v3 and it is exactly what happens in grand finals. And I hope we've learnt from this game at least how the margins between winning and losing in, in a grand final um, are very slim. It comes down to a few players getting the ball, being able to do the right thing at the right time. And in that first half, we had a number of players who weren't going at, at 100% and Brisbane took full advantage of it. So um, our situation wasn't good at, at halftime, apart from the fact that we're only 20 points down. We we had 14 players who only had two disposals or less in the second quarter. Um, Oliver only had eight touches to halftime. Neil Bullen had zero in the second quarter and three to half to, three to halftime. Max Gorn had only taken one mark to halftime. We were seriously down, and and whatever the coaches put into the uh, drinking water at halftime, or the message that they sent to them, uh, certainly got all the individual players playing at a much higher intensity than than they had been in that first half. So that was the first change that uh, would have been affected off the field. Um, I think at halftime they did a, five things that I identified. Uh, firstly, the defensive structures were realigned. Uh, in the first half, um, like I said, things weren't happening at that sort of half forward line for us. And in the second half, we saw players like Jordan, Fritch, T-Mac, Spargo and Pickett move further up the ground. Um, all of a sudden, Brisbane, when they came out of their defensive structures, 
couldn't switch. They couldn't move the ball as freely as they had in the first half and the intercepts started to come. The defence of the May Lever Petty type um, was happening because of the work that was happening up the ground that simply wasn't there in the first half. So moving those players up the ground further put the pressure on the Brisbane backs and we started to get the uh, intercepts uh, as a result and uh, Brisbane only scored three goals after half time. So after half time, those structures were much better in place than what they had been in, than in the first half. Second thing was Gorn took control in the middle, uh, absolutely changed his game around. Um, uh, in the ruck contest, all of a sudden, um, clean taps were being made to people like Petrarca and, and Oliver. Um, we were getting the ball much more freely in the middle. The other thing that I noticed was that Harms changed his uh, tagging uh, role on uh, Neil. Previously, in the first half, he played Neil very closely, um, almost an identical situation to what he was doing with Libba the previous week. Um, But he moved away from him quite considerably. What this meant was that even though Neil got the ball, Harms could attack him at speed when he did get the ball. And there was one classic example where Neil picked the ball up uh, at the back of the, the centre square, swung around, but he had to swing around out on an arc and as a result kicked the ball to the half-forward line where I think it was Petty intercepted the ball. So um, the pressure that uh, Harms was able to change on Neil caused, caused him to um, not have the same effect as what he did in the first half. Uh also, there was this crossover tag that I spoke about uh, previously where um, a player wouldn't necessarily stand alongside the person he was tagging. So uh, you'll see Petraka pl- sitting on Zorko sometimes. You'll see Harms sitting on Zorko, but the actual person that they're, they're opposed to is uh, some distance away. So that'll be interesting to watch whether this continues. Third one, um, and the commentators picked it up, I think it was um, I can't remember which one of the commentators picked up. In the first half, uh, we marked and played on only 9% of the time. In the second half, that was up to, in the third quarter certainly, it was up to 38%. We got the ball and we started to move it quickly, um, whereas in the first half, it was a lot more of the chip and chip and kick uh, type of play that we were forced into. Uh, when we started moving the ball quickly into that forward line, things started to move and things started to open up for us uh, and goals resulted simply as a, as a result. Number four thing was um, Cosy put a lot of pressure on Daniel Rich down the, uh, whenever Brisbane come out of the back line playing, playing through Rich uh, because he's such a such a good kick of the ball. You'll, you will have noticed um, Cosy a couple of times got very close to to uh, stifling his kick out of uh, after a point, um, but what it meant was Rich wasn't able to deliver the ball. It was always a kick to into the air or into space or something like that. They just didn't get any drive out of their back line that they usually got from from Rich, and certainly did in the first half. I think Rich was their their number one um, uh, disposal got the number one disposals in the first half for Brisbane. Um, Third quarter, I think in particular, uh, we've spoken about it, but the players really um, 
changed their focus. They really, really ran hard. Um, you might remember again from the commentators that they said we only had 16 interchanges left in the last quarter. I think that was because we'd used them up in the th in the third quarter to keep our guys on the field um, playing with the intensity that they had to play. So, yeah, it was a, it was a big turnaround, a few minor tweaks, um, but really that re-established the, the, what Goodwin's called in the past the uh, identifiable Melbourne way of playing the game. Um, once we start to, got those defensive structures right again, it's what we've become used to um, up to this stage of, of the of the opposition simply cannot penetrate uh, our 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 back line uh, in any meaningful way. So yeah, three goals after halftime uh, was uh, a credit to the um, the structures that were put in place. So yeah, a, a game of two halves by um, uh, but. I think the coaches did a fabulous job at halftime to identify what was needed and, and put it in place and then the players to execute it. One of the most pleasing things I thought in the third quarter was uh, that we were able to get back both of their third quarter goals almost immediately, um, which is a good thing because uh, it, it sort of takes the wind out of their sails or any uh, momentum that they might have been trying to, to gather. Uh, B-Man, anything you want to add to that before we move on? Yeah, just a couple of things. Um the, you hear Goody talk about that identifiable brand and you also hear him talk about, um, you know, trying to get the game. You hear all the coaches talking about this on, on our terms and it was just a fantastic uh, game of footy to give an example of what they mean when they're talking about getting the game on their terms. So in the first um, half, it was clearly on their terms, wasn't it? All the stats were, were there. They were winning around the ground stoppages. Their forward half was clicking there. So all their strengths that they have were playing and we couldn't, they were dominating territory. So, you know, they, they had 72% um, um, in forward half after about seven or eight minutes um, so they were doing what we um, were doing. They were taking our strength away, which is our rebounding off the half-back flank. But they also took away by doing that our other major strength, which is when the game is on our terms, we squeeze teams in our forward half, as we've talked about all season. And we just couldn't do that because we couldn't get territory. Um, and they were marking. The other thing, our, one of our strengths is our ability to stop the opposition um, taking marks inside their forward 50. And uh, they had six um, at the end of the first quarter. They had seven contested marks to our two, I think. And um, six of them were inside the 50-metre arc. Um, and that just doesn't happen to us. So, you know, the game was on their terms. Um, and in the um, second half, you you saw what happened when your game got on our terms. We took away all of their strengths and exactly as George said, is you know, we ended up squeezing them. They only scored three goals, one of which was a pretty soft free kick to Cameron. Um, and the game, when you looked at it, it looked like an identifiable brand for the Ds where they struggled to, to clear it. And I thought exactly that really good pick-up, George, about... Um, um, uh, rich because not only that was clearly a, a strategy um, and not only did um, Cozzy really attack him, which was what my point was that they weren't really doing that in the first half. Um, and that's where the difference is. That's why those sort of stats can be a bit misleading because they're a symptom. The real problem was that players weren't intense enough and running at that player like the rich and they were allowing them to take those two, three steps and delivering them. They've got good kicks. They kick for 40, 50 metres because they've got the height up forward. Um, but so rich was having to kick long, but often, George, from, you know, from the, deep uh, back pocket. So he wasn't getting up the ground like they really wanted to off the half-back flank. So I thought that was super clever. 
And then I heard on the one of the commentators saying that uh, Williams really got into the forward half team um, as just before they were about to uh, start, just um, basically to run a rev them up because that's the other thing we weren't doing. We weren't. We just didn't have enough, as you pointed out, George, enough forward half pressure. So. Um, I thought the interesting thing with the stat, uh, the uncontested is I think we deliberately might have tried to go slow in that first half to keep it out of the stoppages. So from after about five, six minutes, it was 21-7. At the halfway mark, actually, the first quarter, it was 21-7 um, uncontested possessions our way. Um, but from that point on until the end of the second half, they just smashed us in um, uncontested and contested possessions. Um, so I think part of that was... You know, we came out in the second half much more attacking. Um, and I heard uh, in something interesting during the week, a couple of people talk, I think Uze and someone else, about a rule now that at Melbourne you only have one player going to the um, contest for a tackle and not, and you and then everyone else is on the ring. Uh, and that helps with, I think T-Mac mentioned it, and that helps with that um, link-up play when you get the tic-tac down the ground because you've got one at the contest and two outside and there was a clear emphasis on running and getting forward of the ball and winning that contest. Um, and again, probably the most important stat that they talk about is that post-clearance um, possession that you win if you win that contest then. Uh, and we started winning them ahead of the ball and, uh, you know, you could really see the game looked like it on our terms. So the other thing I just think is our leaders were incredible. I heard them talk about, ask Goody about, well, did you rev them up? And he said, no, but I got into my leaders and said, you know, you need to stand up. And that's, um, you know, we've been talking about it for years at the D's, haven't we? We we don't have strong leaders. And I think that's no longer true. uh, And uh, we won because of it. Let's talk some individual efforts. Uh, We'll try and uh, be as brief as possible, but it's hard when you've got sort of a long list of uh, people that uh, deserve some praise. Uh, First one, first cap of the rain, Christian Petrarca, an absolute bull. Uh, You know, last year had that breakout year, but I think he's taken that game to a a whole new level this year. 26 possessions, 16 contested, nine clearances, nine tackles, nine score involvements, seven inside 50s and an incredible 724 metres gained. Uh, two goals and that one on the run was an absolute beauty, uh, wasn't it, George? Yeah, love that one. But uh, I also love that uh, love the effort of Tom uh, T Mac when um, he took out the two Brisbane defenders by blocking beautifully for Petraka to, to run in and score that goal. But yeah, he's he's what we've been wanting for years and years. Uh, the, the strength that he has is just incredible, uh, and I'm constantly astounded by um, his ability to kick off one step, you know, 50, 60 metres so easily. Uh, his penetration into the forward line uh, with those kicks is, is what's creating the opportunities up there now. So, um, yeah, and and the good thing about Petraka was he, he was consistent the whole game. He was performing the whole game. Um, when others around him, even Oliver, like I said, only had uh, eight touches to half time. That's not Oliver, um, and we'll talk about him uh, shortly as well. But uh, yeah, Petraka was just just superb. And that's exactly what you want from a leader when your your team's struggling. The energy was a bit flat. Uh, I wonder whether there was a strategy to come in to maintain possession and um, take the heat 
off them. Um, they came in physical as I expected they would. Um, he just stood up, and if you look at the um, watch the all the goals clip, he's involved in. I think the you know not the first one, which was the lucky free kick. The next three, he's involved in those scoring chains, including that magnificent handball that must have gone twenty meters to set up perhaps our second or third goal. Um, and he was a he was a difference in that match, a difference maker. And exactly as you say, George, how long have we been desperate for such a player who says, well, I'm just going to refuse. And, you know, he, he was massive um, for that first half. Um, Oliver came good in the second half. But the other thing was um, he was a huge factor in our scores. And I think, Andy, 12 inside 50s to halftime, was that right? Something it was an incredibly low number from him or from the team? No, no, from the team. Yeah. Oh, sorry, inside fifties. How many? Do you know what it was inside fifties? Um, but he was a big reason why we were uh, in that game because we we were much more likely to score once we got it inside fifty than they were, as it turned out. So, um, and largely on the back of his work, he he was incredible in terms of his ability to get it forward. Um, I like the goal he kicked that he went back and slotted it. Um, he was, you know, he just took that uh, leadership and he thumped that ball from just on outside the 50-metre arc and he never had any thought about doing anything but do that um, and we really needed a goal at that stage. Clayton Oliver was yeah. instrumental in turning the tide of the game in the second half. After half-time, he's had uh, the 18 disposals and five clearances. Um, I really love that he's kicking the ball more often, uh, but he's still s- uh, silky slick with those quick handballs out of congestion uh, to the point where I think it was uh, Dermy on one of the sun- uh, Saturday or Sunday footy shows was accusing him of throwing it, but uh, I, you have a look at it and it's clear he gets his hand on all of them. Um, 25 possessions, 14 contested, eight clearances, five tackles, 11 score involvements and seven inside 50s. Um, big man, uh, does he chuck the ball or not? Uh, well, uh, I happened to watch that and um, I, I just I cannot stand the commentators anymore. It was some of the uh, commentary in this game was appalling. But no, none of those examples – like there's often ones that he does throw it, but none of the examples in that game were, uh, sorry, in that clip were throwing. Um, and, you know, I, I, there's Dermy seems to have a set against the Ds, but um, it's hard to take him seriously, to be honest. But he was awesome, wasn't he, Oliver, in that second half? Um, was he being Tad George in the first half? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I only reviewed the second half. And from that perspective, I wasn't looking at tags on Oliver, but he was well down from what he was um he, he moved certainly moved further up the ground in the in the second half um he was getting far more drive and he was he was heavily involved in a number of our goals um i think the one that he gave to tom mcdonald's in the forward pocket where mcdonald was in the ruck and it was hit to oliver and oliver handballed it back i don't know how to to mcdonald to get to score the goal um was just brilliant, but he was moving much further up the ground than he had in the first half, and he's kicking the ball um, like Petraka now, deep and long, yeah. And, yeah. and creating the options. And yeah, for the for the opposition to have two play two players of that ilk um, must be a real nightmare. You know, not too many players have, not too many teams uh, have that type of. Pl- type of player in numbers. They have variants around the middle, but uh, we've got two rippers here, and it's. If you compare him to both of those players, and well, let's say Oliver, 
who was getting numbers similar to Sam Mitchell for Hawthorne, um, but and playing in not a dissimilar role in the sense that a lot of those um, possessions were out the back of the defensive side of the contest and uh, you know three four handballs. You know, now he gets 30 possessions and they're super damaging, as we've talked about a number of times. And I thought that goal was a brilliant. That was our first goal of the third quarter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you're, you're right, uh, George, in the sense there was a real palpable effort and energy, if that makes sense. When they came out, they looked to be energetic and that really got us going. And um, you know, I thought that, that the sort of... It was critical we got a goal early because it got us up and about and you could feel the momentum um, um, building. And really, after about four or five minutes, I just felt like they were going to struggle. They seemed to struggle, and that's what ended up being the case, to get the momentum back at all. Um, They could never stop it. And there was another one where Petty handballed into um, Hunt uh, and Hunt got running. And, And, you know, I think that... Once they got up and about, they really fed off it. Um, and he's a real barometer. So uh, he was sitting on the bench, wasn't he? The barometer in terms of Oliver's energy, the energy he brings to that team. Track was like it through the whole match. And, and I feel like Track, if he hadn't have played in that game, we would have potentially been 35, 36 points down at halftime. I and mean, you're not coming back from that generally. Um, but his en- Oliver's energy was as um, important as his possessions because he just seemed to. Every time he went near the ball, he seemed to be absolutely focused on winning it. Um, there was one where he was completely spent, where he, they, um, Kerry reckons he deliberately kicked it on so he could have 30 more seconds, which I sort of dismissed. But then when he he went back to try and kick that goal from the boundary line, he, he looked completely spent. Um, and that's not because he's um, not fit. That's because he's just worked his absolute backside off in that second half. He, he was just a star. I don't think you can accuse anyone in that team of not being fit. I think that's uh, that's one of the reasons we were able to uh, absolutely dismantle them in the second half and, and go on with it in the last quarter because uh, they look like some of their players were giving half-assed efforts. Yeah. Uh, Danaher, uh, there was one in particular, uh, he did three times in the one thing that he gave half-assed efforts. And, and also uh, I think when Sparrow kicked his goal, uh, Zorko sort of gave a half-assed effort, didn't even make any effort to, to sort of try to tackle or spoil or, or go for a, a, a smother or anything. So, yeah, I think they were spent and, and we were full. Uh, we still had another gear to click into. Let's go on to Max Gorn. Um, each week, in the last few weeks, Max has slowly been getting back to his best. I think he got back there this week. Um, 17 possessions, 11 contested, thir- 31 hitouts, nine to advantage, four clearances, six score involvement. That one Rovers goal uh, early on in the game. I'll add that his ruck contest at the very start of the last quarter, where he got the clearance and the kick to Cozzy into space to set up our, our first goal of that quarter, was inspirational and everything you want from a captain. Um, fantastic, uh, George. Yeah, as as I mentioned before, he he changed his game from that first half to the second, and you know that was a when you talk about captain's goals, that that first one that he gave to Cozzy in that last quarter was a captain's goal. It was just just superb. He he um, he 
like I said, he only had that one mark to uh, to half time. He was well down from what he um, what he usually is, and uh, I don't think he's back to his best quite no, yet. No. But but he dragged himself a- across the line to to lift the team, and that w- that was just fantastic to to watch. And McInerney was spent by the end of the game. He he given up like like you said the fitness levels, uh, and Max was able to. Um, uh, as I mentioned before, in that second half, all of a sudden Max's hitouts were going to real advantage to us. So, um, yeah, we we certainly need Max in the side. He he lifted that whole team um, and lifted the ones around him. Yeah, you know, uh, which is what you want from a leader. He's been a an inspired um, selection as a leader um, for this team. And Max knew that when he that first contest where he kicked it to Cosy. He knew that um, uh, McInerney was not going to get anywhere near him. He just uh, put yeah. the afterburners on. Yeah. Um, uh, James Harms, uh, a few weeks ago I knocked this uh, bloke and labelled him as just a placeholder for Viney. But he's played two of the best weeks of football I've seen from him since the finals in 2018, perhaps even better than that. And we'll talk a bit a bit later about the makeup of our midfield once Viney's uh, fit to return. But Harms is definitely making a case for himself as someone who wants to feature in the starting lineup of this team. He spent most of his time at stoppages, as you mentioned, on, on Lockie Neal, who was giving us headaches in the first half. Upon re-watching the second half, he, he spent some of the stoppages, not just on Neal, but he, he would go to McCluggage as well sometimes. He mixed it up. I think he was on Zorko one or two times. And it's not just his tagging work, but he's able to find the pill himself and he's racked up 23 possessions, 11 contested, six clearances, and he's been in six score involvements. So really contributing uh, to the team, uh, B-Man. He was terrific, wasn't he? I thought um, that was his best game. It, um, it, he was really, I thought, quite – I don't think he tagged – Wasn't it? certainly wasn't a hard tag. No. Um, um, not in the way um, he has previously. But at the stoppages, he had his art, like he was yeah, letting them yeah. know he was there a lot of the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I thought he was really important. Um, his run all game was fantastic. He, he's another player who looks really fit. Um, and he, and he, see, he seems to be sometimes he's not switched on um, and makes sort of errors of decision-making errors more than uh, execution, if that makes sense. And um, he, But he, he looked super switched on and didn't make any of those sorts of errors. Like, against the Adelaide, I remember thinking or commenting he made a couple of, um, you know, Hollywood hand pass or there was none of that, was there? He, he was um, um, really focused on his footy. Um, and I thought he used the ball really well as well. He made good decisions how he used it. Um, we we were actually the we in the second quarter – Another factor in terms of not getting kicked out of that game, I couldn't believe it. I read a stat <laughs> during the game that, um, or perhaps it was afterwards, our first 15 kicks in the second quarter all hit a target. We were 100% efficiency in the first 15 minutes. So, you know, again, that shows a team that's improving. If half of them are turned over, suddenly it's not a 20-point um, you know, gap at th- uh, half time at forty points, isn't it? So, uh, and he was he was a player that was hitting his targets, um, as obviously in that stretch everyone was. So yeah, he, he was important, and he's I don't think he's going out of the same. Um, Tom Sparrow and James Jordan. I won't reel off too many stats for these two, but I do, I really just wanted to congratulate. Jason Taylor on finding these two gems in a draft year where we weren't in the pointy end of it. 
he's had to identify some talents that would you know really complement our midfield and be able to slot in at various times uh, during the game. And both of these players are able to do that, uh, just that, you know, not just on the inside but on the outside as well. Uh, Tom and James um, have had 19 and 20 possessions respectively and Tom's kicked that goal effectively off one step from 50 metres, uh, which is exactly what you want from your midfielders. We've mentioned how we want to see more of that from Petrarca and Oliver and both uh, Tom this week and Jordan last week were able to sort of you know, hit the scoreboard as well. So that's exactly what you want from, from your midfielders, George. You want to add anything about these two? Yeah, both rippers again and again. That's um, uh, another couple of uh, strings to the bow of these sort of 20-year-old players that we've got who are coming into the side and are just performing. Uh, Sparrow's 19 possessions were off, uh, I think it was 57 or 58% game time, which is just incredible. Um, you know, that... If if he'd if he'd played ninety percent like uh, Petraka or, or Oliver had played, he would have been you know thirty possessions, and we'd be thinking even more so of him. James Jordan um, again, fantastic. He filled the role on the wing uh, that had been vacated by um, Langdon. Um, different way of playing and a different style of playing, but he says just seemed to be in everything. Um, and again, he was one of the reasons why the um, uh, that defensive structure suddenly became a lot tighter. He was he was able to hold down his wing and just um, stop the opportunities for the uh, Brisbane uh, attacks that are coming out of, out of their back line. Um, yeah, just two superb players that we've now added to, added to the, to the um, side. And at the start of the season, I doubt that we would have thought that um, they would be playing regular games on this basis this year. But uh, yeah, Sparrow is not going out of the side after that performance. Uh, my boy, Captain Jack, he played great, didn't he? Um, he's a competitor um, and he's, uh, you know, he really likes the tough stuff as well and it, it probably speaks to um, how much they were out on their feet. He had so much time to pick up that ball when he kicked that goal but uh, hit it, he hit it sweet from outside 50. Um, he, James Jordan's just a revelation. I had no, no sense at all uh, what a gem he is and he just... Not only is he a clever footballer, he just makes smart decisions. Um, he, he's got that rare ability to seemingly have a little bit more time and space than other players. Um, he doesn't look flashy. He doesn't look, you know, he doesn't look like he sort of jumps out at you when he plays. Um, you know, the, I think the Junior McDonald comparison, um, obviously helped by the number, is a really good one. But he, you know, just like uh, Junior, he he he's clever in what he does. He plays within his limitations. Uh, he hits his handballs. He hits his kicks. Uh, and you know, I think he's like one of the top ten or top five um, tacklers in the AFL, isn't he, Andy? He's so he's ferocious at the footy. Um, two young players who love tackling and grunt. Um, yeah, I, I was thrilled with both their um, performances. The other thing I liked about Sparrow was that um, chain of handballs that uh, started on the half-back line. Um, it came from Hibbert to Lever mm-hmm. to uh, ANB to a couple of others in the middle. But there was a Tom Sparrow handball that made, um, made ANB's run uh, work, which was he had to take – he took possession and had to put it out in front – but behind which way he was facing at the time, if he'd stu- if he'd 
missed that handball, it was all over, but he just made it beautifully uh, and gave A&B the chance to kick it into the forward line. A&B yeah. didn't do a great job of that, but uh, Tommy Mack uh, cleaned it up nicely to score the goal, which is just magnificent. It's one of the best goals all season, and it was a fantastic example of what we were talking about last week of the way they thread um, the way down the boundary line. Um, mm. If it goes out, no worries, it's on the wing, they get a stoppage and they reset. Um, it doesn't go out, they chain it up down that wing um, pretty low risk because, you know, it's not like it gets turned over in the corridor and then suddenly you, you, you're going to give up a goal. Uh, and when it comes off, it just looks fantastic. And in that play, I forget who did it, but someone couldn't handball it and just tapped it forward um, and kept the chain going, um, kept that run going. So, yeah, that was a th- just a thrilling goal. And when when we get goals like that, it's, you know, it's certainly it's sort of, ex- it's a funny combination of that defensive game that can really squeeze oppositions and, and sort of take the life out of it and um, sort of intersperse with just really attacking things when we get out in front of the contest and run and, you know, the commentators sort of make note of it, but we really look like we were running on top of the ground and they had concrete in their boots. Um, uh, George, you had me- mentioned about, um, you know, uh, Jordan taking on that uh, role with uh, Langdon going out and we were always going to miss the run and drive of Ed Langdon on the wing. So uh, you've, not just with Jordan playing there, how did we cover that? Um, I, I couldn't. We we didn't really replace that that type of play that um, that that we get from Ed Langdon. So, I I, um, I think we you can't you can't replace Ed Langdon yeah. and the way he, he plays. Um, so Jordan's a completely different sort of player, but um, he's, he's obviously got sufficient tank to be able to go out there and play that role. I think we actually played it brilliantly um, in, in one sense in that um, Langdon uh, roams from back pocket to forward pocket. Um, Jordan doesn't have that sort of... Um, at the moment, uh, obviously, doesn't seem to have that sort of ability. Um, it'd be amazing if he did. But I think what we did was he actually filled the gaps at either end with Salem and uh, Spargo. Um, so you you saw Spargo playing a lot further down the ground than he normally would. You know, he's, he's essentially a forward pocket type player. But he was up on the wing and up up on the half back line at times. And Salem was doing the same thing. Uh, at the at the other end, um, helping helping out. So we we were covering uh, Jordan on on either side with a little bit of, with the extra work that Salem and Spargo were um, putting in. So um, yeah, we we didn't miss Langdon in that sense. I thought we'd really struggle to get the ball up the ground, but uh, it was beautifully done. And Jordan's such a great kick of the ball. Um, it's you know one of Bin Man's favourite favourite uh, items, and and you can see why he, he just delivers the ball beautifully every time, and then combine it with a couple of other equally good kicks in Salem and Spargo, and um, there's there's your Ed Langdon in 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 another form. The um, I thought he I thought they swapped. You're right. That he didn't take the whole wing, um, but I, I thought they did end up swapping with. Um, um, Gus playing the offensive wing because I think they went through Gus, I'm pretty sure, and and leaving the defensive side to Jordan. And I think you're right, um, George, he didn't roam as far back. I think he went back into the back line, but um, didn't go as much forward. So mm. 
Um, I'm pretty sure that um, essentially Gus took Langdon's role and was up and down that um, wing, playing that role with with Jordan getting a chop out on the other side, um, uh, on the defensive side of it. And you know, he he's a clever player who can obviously be given a job. So, um, you know, that augurs well, I think, for, um, you know, going forward in case you need to fill a hole at any stage that you've got players who um, can play multiple positions. And I, I read with interest on Demonland saying someone noted that they'd heard that um, each player was asked to, to train in a second role. Um, so um, had you heard that, George? Or no, no. Um, oh, no, so, I didn't. Yeah, so that's if that's the case, sort of that flexibility, um, you know, who knows, maybe Jordan had done some training, you know, has trained as a winger in the preseason. Um, I forget who made the comment, but the comment was that each player had to learn a secondary position, if you like. Did Charlie Spargo have to learn ruck? Uh, yeah, I think, yes. Well, he, he's, he's not a bad aerialist, so I wouldn't be totally shocked. He gets up there and he he's, took an absolutely amazing mark. That was a um, I think it was in the first quarter where he, um, he he got thumped in the contest. It wasn't really, he didn't jump that high, but um, uh, it was a short kick from out, I think, from Petty. Uh, and if he didn't mark it, it was um, the ball was going to hit the ground and away they'd go. And uh, But he really uh, launched into it and grabbed it. Let's talk our defence. Um, uh, yeah, I thought in first first half we were pretty much beaten uh, defence primarily because, as we've discussed, the opposition was able to move the ball quickly out of the middle or from stoppages, and we were simply beaten by their forwards in the air. Um, after half time, we were able to reverse the stoppage numbers, and from then on, whenever Brisbane were able to win the ball off their half back line, they were just met with our wall, and they sort of had to sort of stop and prop and look to the look to the wings to try and go elsewhere. And you know, we got the likes of you know, we don't have to discuss everything they did. May had some great contested overhead marks. Lever doing the stuff Lever does. Petty did a good job on. All the players he ended up sort of, I, I think you mentioned it, uh, B-Man, sort of, they were sort of changing around who they were on. Uh, it was on McStay a couple of times or um, or Hipwood uh, and, you know, we were able to just pick off their entries, you know, uh, and these guys were ably assisted by Hibbard, Rivers, Salem. Um, just, to, you know, our defence, I love them. Can't say, can't say much yeah. more about them. I, I think George makes a really good point before that, Defense isn't just that back six; it's the whole um, defensive unit. Um, but T Mac made the point about um, how much harder the the defense work to halve their contests, and um, and he was May in particular was a sort of different player in terms of he was much more aggressive going for his marks in that second half. And um, I'm not sure how many intercept marks he ended up with, but I don't think he had any in the first half. Um, and you know they were. Uh, uh, able to, again, get it on their terms. But really, as much as anything, that's where, you know, it's important that your mids and your halfbacks and, your, you know, even your max and your other players are putting pressure on because it's exactly that pressure on the, that that last kick inside 50 that in the first half, uh, a lot of those kicks were under no pressure and um, or limited pressure, I should say, probably not no pressure. We never really were that low in our pressure. But um, as soon as we tidied that aspect of the game up, it um, makes all of the defenders' job a bit easier. Um, but again, Major stood up and, um, you know, I, th- I thought his performance was probably the best of the backmen. I thought Petty was good as well. Um, he he's certainly aggressive and he's um, for a young player. And uh, you know, I think that, again, like I said 
um, about that first half. I just feel a bit that they're um, it seems to be a bit more fluid now than it was with Tom Lonson in, um, and it seems to be a, le- a little less set in stone. Their different positions. So um, the the fact that they could stop the hot, the highest scoring team in the AFL to only th- you know stop them scoring any more than three goals in the second half is testament to a complete defensive system that was working. Um, but it, you know it would appear that those big fellas back there, all three of them, decided to really sort of crunch down and. The other one, as we talked about last week, is the role Hibbard played. I thought Hibbard was fantastic on Cameron, really didn't give him much space. Um, and I'm not sure um, what happened in the second half, but Bailey um, had ba- no influence essentially in the second half after dominating the first half. So um, uh, they got a bit right in that second half in terms of their matchups and how we played. The ball wasn't coming down there. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> it no. helps. It wasn't getting past halfway. No. Yeah. Um, forwards, uh, Fritch, Fritch was able to hit the scoreboard early for us, um, uh, but up until half-time, there wasn't much to write home about in regards to our forward line. We were once again hamstrung by the quality of supply going into our forward line um, and also our inability to convert from set shots in the last quarter. When Fritch was having a shot from outside 50, that said we'd only converted four of 11 shots on the night and Fritch then chose to pass short to, to T-Mac, which went over his head, you know, just highlighting our poor disposal, I thought, into our 50-metre arc at times. And then later in the game, Weed missed an absolute gettable goal, further highlighting the poor set shot accuracy for the night, um, which is why I thought uh, the scoreline in the end flattered them because we had our opportunities. Um particularly from set shots. So luckily for us, our, our shots from in play were much more accurate. Tommy Mack was able to kick uh, three after half time. Cozzy showed off his Cozzy stuff kicking three as well, which could have easily have been five or six, and it's just a matter of time before he actually does have a game where he kicked five or six and just uh, breaks the team apart. Uh, George? Yeah, I think <laughs> the common factor with um, Fritch, T-Mack and Cozzy was work rate. Um, mm. It was... Uh, the whole game, well, certainly in the second half, they really, really put in um, Cozzy. And, um, uh, we've talked about his pressure on um, on Rich in the back line, but he's just constantly around players threatening to do something at, at any one point. T-Mac was just fantastic. His strength... Um, in the forward in the forward line, um, even when he was doing ruck duties, or um, like I said, I, I mentioned him, him in that uh, Petrarca goal. If he hadn't laid that bump on the Brisbane players, Petrarca would have been under extreme pressure to kick that. Fritch was was again working much harder than I've ever seen yeah. Fritch work before. Up the field uh, as well, exactly. I thought. He went up so, the field a few times as well to get the ball. So yeah, there was there was I think it was in the third quarter, or maybe the last. I can't remember um, where Brisbane had the ball inside, you know, twenty or thirty meters. Uh, player was out on his own. It was absolute guaranteed goal, and Fritz shut him down. Um, yeah. So he's he's run the length of the ground to um, to create that defensive pressure. There was someone else involved in it as well, but that was a guaranteed goal. Um, yeah, so when you've got Fritch working as hard as he was and T-Mac working as hard as he is and Cozzy works hard all the time, um, you know, the old adage about, you know, the luckier you get, the, sorry, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And, and these three certainly are getting the results as a result of it. And not just them, A&B um, stepped it up in the second half. I thought Spargo was good right through the match, but yeah. um, Nibbler was pretty quiet. And, you know, I thought, it, again, it was quite interesting, that sort of notion of Williams firing up that um, the front half, the forwards, because it probably, 
you know, the, the d- defensive unit gets some stick if you give up um, scores. But really, you know, as, as we've talked about, our game plan is all about trapping it inside our forward half if we can. And then, you know, if they dump kick it out, kicking it straight back in. And that means pressure, pressure, pressure from our forward. And so, you know, that sort of pressure that you talked about T-Mac um, doing, just little things, um, you know, that's the difference. And they they were a huge factor in lifting that pressure rate because um, the game's never going to get how we want to look at if they're not doing that. Um, I thought Cozzy was fantastic. And, and I think the way he played on Rich was really important for that because, again, it just meant that they were struggling to get it past that 70-metre um, wall that we were setting up, and which is what we just do when we're on um, to squeeze them up. But, you know, get, he had to get across, which he wasn't get doing in the first half. So it just sort of reinforces the game plan is hard to play because, um, um, you know, it requires so much gut running. And I think that really has to be, um, factored into our inaccurate kicking in the second half of games because as fit as we are and we're evidently fitter than most teams that would appear, um, you know, they're, they're gas. Like the goal that um, Track missed at the end where, you know, nine times out of ten in the first quarter he'd get that, no problems, but he was exhausted you know, running into pretty much an open goal. Um, so, um, but I totally agree on Fritch. I thought that was his best game from a pressure perspective. And I remember the one you're talking about, George, he... They did run, sprinted and made a good tackle and you know, they were out. And I think it was the third quarter. It was a sort of at a time where we'd pushing, but if they got a couple of goals back, then they could have got that momentum. And you made the good point, Andy, is that I thought it was really important us um, getting goals after they got goals. It just wouldn't – they just couldn't get any momentum going in that, um, that second half of footy. And um, that's the sort of thing that Fritch did that you've got to bring every week to make sure that they can't get those got two or three goals in a row. Um, uh, I guess we've got to talk about uh, Sam Wiedemann again. Uh, I'll preface all of these comments acknowledging that he was playing on perhaps the second best defender in the league. Um, and as I've already mentioned, uh, some of the delivery wasn't great. But having said that, I was very disappointed with Sam's game again on the weekend. Uh, once again, he had a solitary touch until midway through the third term, I believe. Uh, a couple of times he was able to get both mitts on the ball but was unable to mark. His two genuine shots on goal showed that he can do what we want and expect from him after six years in the system. The first was from a nice lead from a, a T-Mac kick and the second was in the last quarter from a great contested overhead grab. I want to see more of that, but unfortunately we're not. And, and to make matters worse, he missed both shots and the second one, he missed everything. Both were very gettable kicks for a key position forward. And if you're not getting big numbers in terms of stats, you have to take your opportunities from everyone that you get. And, and we're just not getting that with Sam. And and I see other key forwards from other teams that were drafted either just before or after him that don't seem to have the same issues. And it, it makes me wonder what the future holds for Sam. He's clearly too good for VFL level, uh, but he's not cutting the mustard for me uh, at AFL level. I'm not even convinced he just needs time to settle. Uh, I guess there are a few questions I'll throw to you guys. I'm going to play some audio in a second and so get your thoughts together. And the questions I sort of want to ask is, do we persist with Sam in the ones given the uncertainty over VFL games at the moment due to COVID? Or do we get Ben Brown in given the same, you know, given the same... uh, Condry, you know, conundrum with uh, not having VFL games to give him some match practice 
and 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 what of Sam's future? Both both T Mac and Brown are both twenty nine later in the year. Sam turns twenty four in a few weeks. We need to consider the future of our key position stocks. Like, is Sam part of that future? You know, we don't have any key forwards waiting in, in the twos. So, you know, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater yet. I'll play this audio. Uh, it was from uh, uh, Matthew Lloyd and uh, Damien Barrett's, uh, one of their programs online on the AFL uh, website, uh, just talking about Sam Wiedemann and a bit of uh, Ben Brown. What do you make of the, the forward line dynamic, Lord? We know that they went into the season with the plan of having both Sam Wiedemann and Ben Brown as the main man. Now, in round nine there, we've highlighted since Wiedemann's return, Brown was in the team, and you can see what happened with, with the number of disposals Wiedemann had. The three matches since for Wiedemann have been without Brown. Do they lock it in with Wiedemann now without Brown? Do they give Brown another go? I reckon they would have felt that he blends in with their forward line better than Ben Brown does, but... When you're putting up numbers like that, one goal, two goals, zero goals, you're getting your hands to a lot of balls and dropping them. I just wonder whether they give Ben Brown a month, give Wiedemann one more chance, and then if it's not working, okay, let's give Ben Brown four or five weeks to see what he can do, and by round 17, they go, okay, let's settle on our best side, and I'm not still not sure whether it's Brown or it's Wiedemann. Cause make Wiedemann, him apply for the job, basically. Yeah, make him apply, because I don't think Wiedemann has taken his chance at the moment. Do, do you abandon all possibilities of them playing again together? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. Fritsch and McDonald pick themselves, and then Gorn and Jackson also go forward, so I don't think there's room for the both yep. of them. Yeah. So he, he was referencing uh, Sam Wiedemann's stats. Uh, so he played the Blues, Crows, Bulldogs, Lions, 0, 1, 2 and 0. Goals, disposals, 13, 9, 6 and 8. Marks, 5, 3, 5, 3. And inside, 50 targets, 11, 3, 5, 6. Um, George, uh, what do we do with Sam? I think Matthew Lord just summed it up pretty well. Um, um, he's had his chance. Um, he's not producing his three goals for the season, even though it's only off four games. But um, he's never kicked more than he's never kicked twenty goals in the season. Whereas uh, Brown, at least, has multiple seasons where he finished second in the Coleman. There's absolutely no chance that the way he's playing that um, Sam Wiedemann will be up in the top three or four or five or even ten of the Coleman. The way the way he's performing, um, the most he's ever kicked in a game is three. Um, he had one possession in the first half. Um, it was a, a repeat of the previous week. Um, his second possession was 20 minutes into the third quarter. Um, at the end of the day, he's a full forward. It doesn't matter whether he's on Harris Andrews or not. That's what he's got to expect every single week, a quality full back. Um, you just can't... You, if you're not performing against quality fullbacks, which you get out of the AFL level, then do you really have a role as a full forward? Um, I don't think so at the moment. I've always been critical about his second efforts. Um, you see how hard Tommy Max working up the ground, back, around, how strong Tommy Max um, marks are. Wiedemann had plenty of chances to mark the ball overhead uh, in this game. This is where it, not these... The, these were marks where he got both hands on the ball and people say, oh, he brought the ball to ground. No, he didn't bring the ball to ground. He dropped the mark. Um, that's not good enough for as a full forward. You've got to produce goals as a full forward and Ben Brown, for me, is a better option. But I think Lloyd's, Lloyd's got it. Um, when he says you might get one more game and then you've got to try Brown in any case to see what's going to work for you because when you get to round 17, you need to have your team set. Yeah, man, uh, what, what's... 
or, or even George, you want to take it, what, what's the future hold? We can't be without a, a key forward in a couple of years. Um, to a certain extent, I don't care if we've got a premiership this year. We've got to, we are absolutely in the premiership window right now. Um, if it takes th- three years for Sam Wiedemann to, co- to come good, that's no good to us this year. We've got to produce the results this year. Um, we, we are effectively, you know, a game clear on top, two games clear of third and about five games clear in the eight. This is the year that we are challenging for the Premiership. We need the best full forward we can possibly put on the, t- on the ground. And what happens to Sam at the end of the year is up to him. They had a very similar conversation to that, um, to the one that you just played on first crack on Sunday night. Um, and Montagna was basically said this similar thing, put those stats up and he talked about, you know, 46 games, 40, 48 games, um, you know, not quite a goal a game or maybe just on a goal a game. You know, I think that the, the challenge for them is, is structurally I think Sam um, is probably a better fit than Brown. Um, and um, I, I think he can still make it, um, Sam Wiedemann. He's, um, and, you know, I think they'll, he'll want to stay at the club, um, and that answers that question. If, you know, you keep him at the club and you allow him to build, whether he's, you know, players do get um, to the destination at different, you know, different ways. There is still, um, you know, that scope in him. The time is ticking forward. Um the thing for Brown is, is can you really afford him to sort of be not playing VFL and not getting match practice? Um, I, I, I don't think they're either of them a hugely great fit. Brown is sort of, I just wonder whether they think Sam Wiedemann's better structurally. Um, I have the same knock on him, obviously, as George does in terms of his second efforts. But I actually thought his sort of pressure was better in this game. He, he looked a bit more switched on. Um, and, you know, I've always thought this about him right through his career. He's, I know it sort of gets chucked around easily as sort of a confidence player, but I just feel like he needs a sort of good run at it. And, um, um, you know, he needs the confidence of the coaching staff. And it's, so it's been really unfortunate for him that Brown's come in and T-Mac has turned into an All-Australian forward because, you know, either one of those things don't happen and he's, you know, he's got a guaranteed game. And he was his best football last year was when... Um, you know, it was just him and Jackson and his position was locked in and, you know, he didn't have to worry that, about that from week to week. I feel like he sort of went, he's gone a bit backwards since he missed that goal against, um, I can't recall who it was against, where he missed a goal after the siren or just before the Adelaide. siren. Against Adelaide, was it? The, where he sort of, his, his confidence has been a bit shaken since then. So, you know, I, I think he can sort of, lots of players end up making it that you think aren't going to. He's got the tools. He's got the talent. I think the things like the second efforts intensity, you can get there. Um, we win a flag this year with, with Brown in. He wants to be involved. There's, I don't think there's any risk in, in losing him. Um, he, he wants to um, be at a footy club that's successful. He's seen – how old did you say Tom McDonald is? Um, both, yeah, tw- they'll be 29. So, you know, he Tom McDonald really – was on the cusp of getting um, dropped and potentially traded back in 2017 before they threw him forward. Um, so, you know, Tom McDonald's seen, sorry, um, Sam Wiedemann's got evidence in front of him of the um, opportunity that you've got if you keep working at your craft. And so I'm definitely not thinking he's not going to make it. Um, yeah, you know, I'd have Brown in. I said that, I've said that the last few weeks. 
Um, my concern is, to be honest, if they don't pick him this week, Brown this week, and, you know, what happens if we win by seven or eight goals and he kicks four or five? You know, it sort of creates a catch-22 for the club because you're not going to drop him, especially our player is a confidence player. Um, and then what happens to Brown? So I think we've got time. So I, I would be looking at resting players now. That's, you know, this is the – we've got – um, we've got the uh, wins in the bank. Now's the time to start thinking of um, of resting players. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, those two players probably can't play together, but I wouldn't be adverse to saying resting even Max Vaughan this week. I know they're not going to do it, but, you know, or a Jackson. And, um, but, you know, if they think, um, you know, maybe it's around 16, 17 that they bring um, Brown in, but if Brown's going to be in the finals team, you want him playing in the last four or five for six games of the season. So maybe Weed gets another two, three weeks and um, Brown gets cherry ripe and they look to make that switch a bit later. Let's move on. Uh, Charlie Spargo. Um, I thought this was an, a good opportunity to give Charlie a bit of credit for his season today, particularly on the back of this the game, his game on Friday night. For, for the sake of brevity, we can't highlight every player each week, but we sometimes do. But that doesn't mean that some of the work, uh, that some of these role players in the team, uh, you know, that they're not going unnoticed or, or they're not appreciated uh, by us here. Uh, Sparks has had seven score involvements and two goal assists from his 14 disposals. He rarely wastes a kick. Um, he's just a different type of small forward than, than a Cosy Pickett, but just as important. Very smart football brain. Seems to seem to work further up the ground too this week, as we mentioned. And, and as you said, uh, B-Man, love that mark that he took near their 50-metre arc. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to give Charlie that that credit because he's been he's been good. Uh, never waste waste the, the ball. Um, he's a natural footballer, isn't he? And um, I'm right in thinking he he was recruited by Taylor as well, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, he's he only been there four years. Yeah, um, and Taylor's obviously he he's got a, a type that he likes and the um, the thing that he clearly um, puts as a priority is smart footy IQ natural football talent um, and he fits that um, completely to a T James Jordan um, Captain Jack as well um, even someone like Rivers who's probably you know getting a lot more kudos but again smart footballers who know you know they're not athletes first football a second, um, you know, and the knock on um, some of the criticism Spargo got in 2019 and even into 2020, you know, he's too short, too slow, he's never going to make it. Um, he really copped the pasting on uh, Demon Land and, um, you know, it, again, it just shows that you don't you build over four or five years, don't you? You don't build a, a, in one or two uh, years. And to think back, he was so important, um, Spargo, in the finals in 2018 and and found it hard after that to get a regular gig. Um, he's in our, he's the best 22 lock this year uh, and I thought that was his best game for the season in terms of from the you know, beginning of the game to the end of the game. He was consistent right across all four quarters and uh, him and Nibbler both play a very similar uh, role and I'd also give a shout-out to Nibbler. I thought he was terrific in the second half. Uh, yeah, we're just about to do that uh, and my notes here was I also wanted to give a quick props to Alex Neil Bullen and yeah. highlight his work work ethic and endurance in one particular play. Uh, it was a chain that we talked about, that chain of handballs, probably about 11 handballs that started on the Lions 50-metre line and resulted in T-Max whirlwind turn and snap for goal. 
I just love that whole piece of play and you can view it on the homepage of Demonland as our video of the week. Uh, Nibbler is right there when the chain sort of began just after, um, you know, it started with um, with Clary who got it to Lever who sort of missed it, went to Petty, back to Lever um, and then uh, Nibbler was one of those first players after that that got it. He then... Um, he then ran alongside the procession when sort of uh, Hibbard gave it off to Jordan. He kept running aside Jordan and peeled off, got it from Jordan um, about the half-forward line and then kicked it to T-Mac uh, who ultimately kicked the goal. But you just watch his running. It is just absolutely superb and um, I, I just wanted to give him props because we, we often – I think we've been critical of him in the past because, of, you know, we always knew he had that endurance and all that, but he wasn't getting sort of high possessions and he still doesn't, but uh, he's using the ball a lot better and, yeah, I just thought uh, he's got to get some credit this week because he's doing a lot more with the ball uh, now. He's using the ball a lot better. Sorry, yeah. George. And But the thing that I was talking about last year with him a lot was that running he, he did. And, you know, it's easy to discount that as, you know, you've got to do more than just run in a game of footy and, you know, you know he only gets eight, nine possessions a match and what does that mean? He is the template for what 22 other, uh, 21 other players need to do in that footy team is to gut run till they've got nothing left in the tank, every single one of them. And that's been the difference is this year is you've got 22 players expending the sort of energy that Nibbler has for the last, well, basically through his career, but particularly last year and the year before. Um, he, you know, he's that's why he's now in the leadership group this year, because of his effort. And that's what you need for a premiership winning team. You need your four stars, your five stars, your six stars. You know, you're, you're not winning flags without those guns, but you're also not winning flags without having a full list of players who are prepared to to run till they, you know, can't run any further. Um, and Nibbler is a perfect example of, you know, where effort um, can trump talent to an extent. But you're right, Andy, he's really improved his decision-making and his kicking skills um, this year. So, you know, that, you know, that he's not turning it over as often and, he, and he's making some damaging um, inside 50s and he's kicking his goals as well. Incredibly, in, in this game, that was a complete turnaround. He had zero possessions in the second quarter. Um, and I actually went and looked at the replay of the second quarter to see whether he was on the ground. He was, um, but zero possessions. And then after halftime, he completely changed it around. So um, the other thing that he he's completely changed in this game in particular was um, he had six tackles. Now, normally he rarely tackles. He, he runs and corrals, but this game he tackled. So, again, it's a, it's a change in the way and the change in the attitude and the change in um, the pressure that you're putting on players. I was thinking um, with his corralling tactics that other, other coaches would be picking up on this um, in, if, if it continued uh, as in the sense of don't worry about Nibbler, he's not going to tack, tackle you. Well, in this game, he's turned that completely around and he's bringing players to ground, which will just add another bow to his game and certainly did in this game. It's sort of it's a bit of a cause and effect. It's a bit like they're saying with stats, uh, symptoms, not causes. Mm. So he got, you know, basically had a super quiet first half we struggled. Is that because so many players had a, um, a poor first half? That's partly the case. But when the game's not played on our terms and is played on the way they like to play it, which is get it forward, lots of stoppages, 
it negates his strength, which is that gut running across the cover, the outlet kick to keep it trapped in our forward line. So suddenly, one you know, his strength is taken away when the whole team can't get the game on our terms. Uh, you know, he's not going to be a defensive doing defensive marking spalls against a Danaher or a Hipwood, but that's what you know they had seventy percent of the uh, game in their half in that first half in the uh, first half of the game. So it's taken away from him, um, and, and and it sort of negates his ability. And similarly, we just weren't bouncing off half back flanks. So they were they outscored us from the half back line. Um, you know, the, I think they got triple the amount of scores we did from the half back line. That's one of our one wood is, is scoring off that half back line, getting the rivers involved and hunt. Um, but when the game's not looking like we want it, well, hunt suddenly gets no run off the half back flank because we're not getting intercept. Um, we're not winning it by the intercept marks or the ball hits the ground and we're not winning them um, when it's on their turn. So, you know, it's a bit of the the symptom or cause. Um, and so once we do get it back on our terms, the nibblers and, of course, they contribute to that, but um, then their stats start coming um, the, going north again. Um, a couple of interesting things. I just had a, a mate um, a message me uh, with some, uh, was a, some stats from Champion Data uh, just about our game. Uh, good sign for Melbourne. Uh, Lever had minimal impact. His lowest rated game of the season, second fewest intercepts for the season, second fewest intercept marks for the season. Uh, good signs for Melbourne. Christian Salem's last two weeks, minimal impact. Second lowest rated player on the ground versus Brisbane. Third lowest rated player on the ground versus Western Bulldogs. Ball use uh, the last two weeks hasn't been penetrating. Impact through ball use is down 140% the last two weeks. So I guess they're saying... We've been able to beat these two teams without, you know, um, this week Lever at his at his best and and Christian Salem. Um, yeah. Then um, he's also said Petraka's uh, comments. Um, Petraka's comments about boring footy first half just forty two handballs. The team uh, gained just forty five meters by handball. Second half had sixty handballs, gained two hundred and ninety two meters by handball. And then the final thing is. Uh, these take a while to get going. Goodwin continually mentions they have faith uh, they will eventually get the game on their terms. Uh, the Ds have lost uh, six first quarters for the season and we've won six. Uh, have lost 11 quarters in the first half. Uh, we've won 13. Uh, we've only lost six quarters in the second halves and we've won 17 quarters. Um, so there's just some champion data stats. Mm. That point about Lever and Salem is an interesting um, one, and it goes to my comment about the problem for oppositions because our strength is um, those two players from our half-back line. We score a lot from half-back line. They would have loved it um, um, the way it looked for them at halftime, the Lions, because I think we'd only scored 13 points from the, from the back half and we average... No, I think 30 points a half, so something like that. Um, the, so they put a bit of time into um, making sure that they weren't dumb kicking to Lever. That's partly why they were sort of moving it so slowly. They also put time into um, Salem to cut out his influence because, you know, he's similarly um, important as Rich is for them. Um, but that's the problem. That's Sure, they can negate those strengths, um, but as I said before, it's much less impactful than 
us negating taking away their scores from stoppages. So despite all of their dominance, they'd only scored 15 points to our 12 from stoppages, you know, a third of what they'd normally average uh, in a season. So Goody would have been thrilled with that. Um, and over the course of a match, that looks better for us. You know, Lever didn't end up having a, a fantastic match. Um, it just sort of, that's taking away defensive strength is a sort of a bit of a nil-sum game in the end. So, um, you know, he, he was quiet. So was Salem. And well, I suspect good, Salem might be injured. But. Good. Well, Goody mentioned uh, uh, after the game something about um, Salem, that he's got a few niggles, uh, which obviously is a, a holdover from that uh, game that he missed uh, where we played Adelaide. And I'll also say that uh, Salem currently holds the longest winning streak. Um, and I can't remember what it was. I read it today, but it's... From round 17 last year, so how many games? Because he didn't play in the loss. Yeah, because he didn't play, so I think he's 13 games on the trot. Um, We've got a caller on the line, uh, Terence, I believe. Terence, how are you going? I'm doing well. Thank you, Andy. Um, Thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. Um, There are a couple of things that I just wanted to bring up, um, and I don't want to go over what you guys have already done. By the way, it's been excellent so far. Um, But just on Fritz, I know I had been a bit of a, well, if not critic, a bit concerned, and um, and Bimman had talked about that over the last few um, over the last few weeks. I missed last Monday, Andy. I, I was thinking it was Tuesday that this would be on, and I just wanted to pick up the the previous week. Fritz had been on, I think, three AW. Um, I had heard, and he was talking about the fact that his first priority is um, defence which, you know, I, I admit I kind of laughed at, thinking, well, you know, that hasn't been what you've been doing over the last few weeks. So last week when we played the Bulldogs, I did notice just as he did this week, he, well, he only had one um, tackle last week and he did get up the ground um, to the halfback flank and, and punched a ball out of bounds um, last week, similarly to what he did this week. And the other thing that I noticed, um, just to applaud him, I think, uh, the other thing I noticed was, even though he's a forward and we expect him to to um, to go for his, his opportunities in the forward line, there are a couple of times this week that potentially he wasn't going to be able to mark, but he made sure that he got into the the contest um, to just uh, in the forward line um, to just make sure that the back um, the back six from. Um, the Lions weren't able to take a mark and, and get it out of the, their defence. So I think it's really interesting that he's been told that his first priority is defence. And even if we're not seeing it in quite the same way that we do with some of the others like Cozzy and Nibbler and so on, um, that it is encouraging to see that. So so I, I don't know whether anyone else heard that interview or not, but, but as I say, I just want to pick up on that. And then the other question I have... I, um, is in relation to finances. And I realise we don't have that, but um, I got an um, email earlier today um, from Gary Pert, as you know, all of the membership did, talking about um, the games that are being played in um, Giant Stadium and then in Sydney. Um, and I just wondered whether we have any real concerns at having lost the money from the Northern Territory game, having lost the potential gate from the MCG, whether we feel as though this is going to put us in some kind of risk, or as I heard um, someone saying uh, a few days ago, if we get deep in the finals, then that should give us an opportunity to recover um, some of those finances. I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on that. Well, well I guess. Well, so what we're we're going to lo- we lost the eight hundred 
thousand for for the Northern Territory. Hopefully, uh, they they're going to replace that game. We don't know. It all depends on what happens on the ground here in terms of COVID. If we can replace it, perhaps with the GWS game, then that's all good. Um, so we lose. They estimate about a million dollars for the uh, Collingwood game. Um, does anyone know what the deal is with the SGG? We made a, a deal with Sydney, um, and not Sydney Swans, but Sydney, the city, to have the game there. But surely that involved us potentially recouping some of the losses. Uh, George, is there you know anything? You, you would have. Yeah, you'd have to think that there would be some uh, recoupment of losses. Um, uh, the fact that this week's going to be played at the SCG instead of out of Giants Stadium, uh, I think we'll get a, a not unreasonable crowd, uh, particularly uh, with Collingwood there as well. There were, uh, in Pert's um, letter, I think he said there were 3,500 people, at, uh, Demon supporters at the Swan game. Um, I think there'll be more this week and certainly Collingwood... Um, Yep. Uh, supporters as well so there'll be some come back um, you get the money from the advertising on the side of the ground um, it being our home game so there's a little bit comes back but at the end of the day unfortunately yeah you're gonna the club's not in as good a position as what it would have otherwise been but that's the same for um, uh, uh, clubs like uh, Richmond and Essendon play the Dreamtime game in Western Australia. Um, Sydney, uh, St Kilda was meant to play a game up in Cairns um, that may not go ahead from the sounds of things, so they're in a similar sort of situation. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately COVID's um, making things very difficult for us, but uh, we did mention last week that we've um, taken on a lot of new sponsors and extended uh, the sponsorships uh, that the club's seeking. So we're getting television coverage and we're getting ground cover, ground signage um, for these games, which are our home games. So there's going to be some comeback for that. Um, what's interesting, Terence, is is uh, what you just said. Uh, our, our best defender is obviously our leading goal kicker this year. Although <laughs> well, I wasn't pumping him up quite that much, but <laughs> I, I just because I've been a bit critical, George, I just wanted to make sure that um, that I corrected the record. That's all given his performance over the last couple of weeks. Just on guys, I know you're going to talk about it, um, and perhaps I'll let it go at this stage. But um, I acknowledge it's not the MFC SS, but I am a little bit worried about the Collingwood game. Oh, I mean, they I played well and. So I'll leave it to you to get to that in time, Andy, but, but I appreciate being able to call in and, and just share some thoughts. So thank you. Uh, Bin Man, did you want to say something to Terence? Oh, just uh, on the fridge. Um, so I think that that's, uh, since you um, um, bagged out his defensive workout, he's come good, Terence, in that um, area, at least the last two weeks. So perhaps he, he got wind of it. He wasn't so great the next week, actually, though. But uh, he worked super hard in this game, as you said. Not just his um, um, tackling and pressure was better, but he really gut run a few times up the ground, as George noted earlier. He laid an important tackle. That got one of the goals he got was on the back of a run that came off the halfback flank, and he he took one basically out of Jordan's hands. Um, but other teams obviously rate uh, him super important and consider him to be a really important sort of cog in our machine because they uh, ran Stasevich on him. Um, and Stasevich has gone to um, uh, often their best mid-size forward. Um, the Lions um, run him on, um, you know, opposition's best mids, um, mid-side forwards. Um, and I think you make a good point, Terence, about um, 
his role in terms of getting up into aerial contests and bring the ball to ground because, you know, bring the ball to ground is critical um, to being able to create forward half pressure because if the opposition market, I don't know how many um, marks Andrew's got, but he, I feel like he didn't have more than a handful of intercept marks and you just got to make sure that, they, you know, the opposition um, uh, backs aren't marking it because it kills you every time. So he, I think he's um, a really important part of the way we set up our forward line and um, as I say I think that the fact that I think Rampy went to him against the Swans and Starcevich has now gone to him so other teams obviously know how important he is to the team Very good so one last one on Wiedemann I did say last one before Andy but on Wiedemann I don't want to go back what you guys have already talked about but um, this might sound a little bit strange to you but because I've lived overseas for so many years I've only really got back into being able to watch games since um, 2017 so I I don't have much history from when I left in in 88 okay the reason I give you that background is because a really good family friend of mine um, Gary Marchant you may have heard of but Tarax Marchant um, he was saying to me just in one-on-one conversations that um oh what's his name that that guy at Chalong um the the full forward there yeah Hawkins he was saying you know Terence Hawkins was just a horrible player and and Gary has membership at Chalong as well through his father he said you know I watched this guy and I you know just terrible 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 but he came good you know later on and you know of course he's one of the best in the competition I wonder if we can see whether you guys observe that with Hawkins and whether we might see some kind of prospect with uh, with Wiedemann in that context Hawkins kicked, Hawkins kicked nine goals in his first game against Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, that's because everyone does. But, the, but, I, but I understood that he played really poorly and he would miss and, you know, he wouldn't tackle and things like that. But but I never saw any of that. I mean, because I was overseas and just didn't have access. So I, I think that's a reasonable comparison. The, the challenge for Weeds is a bit what George says is his second efforts. And I think what, um, I mean, he might really get bigger and stronger. Um, but he still seems to get pushed off the ball a bit too easily for mine, and that was never a knock on Hawkins. He, you know, his follow-up and his pressure was was a bit of a knock. I think that's a reasonable comparison. But you know, I think that that's what I mean. He can still he's still got plenty of time to turn to fulfil his potential, um, and so keep him on the list to make sure he does that. But. You know, if he's going to sort of reach Hawkins, well, he won't reach Hawkins' ability, I wouldn't have thought, but if he does, fantastic. But he, he needs to get stronger through the core and not get pushed out of contest if he's going to be the sort of player Hawkins has become. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, terrific session. Thanks, Terence. Thanks. Oh, Terence, before you go, oh, you yeah. Yeah, what are you studying? Yes. Sorry? <laughs> what are you studying? What am I st- you mentioned in well, the chat room. I'm, I'm studying... Yeah, I'm studying medieval Celtic history. Um, I'm doing that in Ireland when I'm allowed to travel, otherwise I'm doing it online. So um, with, you know, Latin and things like that. So a little bit different from watching the football, but the football is a terrific break for me, so. Well, they do say football's like war, isn't it? Medieval war, there might be some tactics (laughs) you could bring to the table. (laughs) Well, I do promise when I go back, hopefully classes will resume um, on campus from September um, because our academic year is from September through until May. So um, I am lining up with a couple of um, other students that I know um, to go look at some of the Gaelic games because I'm really keen not only to look at to see what some some men might be looking like but also what some of the younger women might be looking like um, yeah. from, uh, from a football point of view that'd be terrific to get some more so so that's my commitment 
Come on, Terence. September. Why? Why are you going out looking at that? It's something else you should be doing in September. Yeah, to come home. Well, well, well. I, I should argue. Well, I should say that it's the latter part of September. Yeah, I've. Um, I think. I think, Bin Man, you asked me, am I, you know, going to be able to make it? I, I'm not sure that I will. My wife has problems that um, health problems that will probably stop me from doing that. But, uh, but I'll certainly look forward to uh, to watching it um, on the on the big screen. Anyway, anyway, I'm going to let you guys go and get back to it. So thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Terence. Thanks, Terence. All right, that was Terence. Uh you know, he's uh, been a long-time caller now to the show the last uh, few weeks. So, Bin Man, you better watch out. Uh, yeah. Gunning for you, Joe. Uh, um, have we lost after Terence's call? Well, he's Did called he a call few times. Did Adelaide game? I don't know, but he's called a few <laughs> times and we've won, so I like those odds. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk changes uh, for the Collingwood game. Uh, obviously... Langdon's a lock to co- uh, providing he's recovered from his concussion, which uh, it's been past the 12 days, so I'm sure uh, he has. Uh, he's coming back in. Who's going out? Uh, George? Uh, yeah, I think Langdon uh, would be almost certain to come back in, um, given that we've got nine or ten, day- ten days between uh, this game and and. Uh, seven from the previous, um, so um, yeah, I think it'll be an easy, easy one back in. Um, if Meltram doesn't go out this week, I give up. Um, five possessions in a game that we can utterly controlled um, simply wasn't enough, and he was he was just trotting around the ground doing very little um, for the vast majority of it. I did he have I a role? Sorry, did he have a role on the? Not no, he only played fifty-seven percent again of, of game time. Um, he was playing in all sorts of positions. He was in the mid midfield sometime, half back flank another time, but he 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 was just going at half pace every time. You know, the, he was only only involved five times in the game, um, but going at half pace yet again, no influence whatsoever on any of the any of the. Um, Things that you expect him to be doing. So Langdon isn't. Langdon comes in. Melcham is an easy out. There was a bit of talk on Deanland. I think AF um, noted that he um, he was on McCluggage or sort of trying to like running off McCluggage a bit and um, you know sort of trying to stifle him. Um, he was running off him. Well, running off, but we're sort of keeping him. It was sort of like a soft tag, if that makes sense. I think. Yep. Um, um, but then Dazzler responded to that comment that uh, uh, Goodwin was asked about what did he have a role, and he said no. But I'm not sure. What, yeah, I think the I think the quote to tell on the television unless it's a hard tag. Mm. Um, and you know, again, he, uh, his pressure wasn't what it needed to be. I didn't think, and um, you know, but possibly he's playing a role. I mean, one thing I'd say about Melksham and Wiedemann is. You know, you've got to give full credit to the coaching staff for their selection so far. And, um, you know, whilst it might seem a bit mystifying, you know, obviously they know what they're doing. Yeah, I think I think there'll be the one change this week. I think it'll be, as you said, George, I think it'll be Langdon in, Melksham out. It has to be. I mean, who else? If Melksham's not out, it, who else could it be? Can't, well, I suspect, you can't take though, Sparrow out. They, I suspect that they'll look to rest some players this week because I think Lever's isn't Lever's um, partner just about to have a child. Uh, 
I'm not sure. I think um, she, her, uh, his partner's due, and I think he probably looks a bit tired. I wouldn't be surprised if they rest him. Um, I reckon Salem, if he's carrying something, now's the perfect time to rest a player. I wouldn't even be averse to resting um, Langdon, given it the sort of kilometres he runs. Why not give him another week? He probably won't want to. I don't even think about Maxi. I mean, obviously, they won't want to make more than two or three, but it, I, I'll... Won't be surprised if Salem um, gets a chop out um, and someone like a lever. Um, and, you know, I would even be tempted. They won't for the for this game, I guess. They won't. Maxie's not going to step down. But um, I, I think that um, they'll probably make two or three fitness-related changes perhaps and um, bring in some of those younger players. Maybe a Bowie gets his go or... A, Bowie, he's a Bowie. Bowie gets Bowie. his go. Oh, no, there's going to be another one for me. <laughs> That's, um, and Bedford, um, Chandler, those sorts of players who you've got to give a go at some stage in case you need them. Um, come finals time, you've got to have some of those players with some senior time. Um, and now we've we've done we've got ourselves in a position where we can now take advantage of that. So ten to uh, sorry um, eleven one we you know this is a, a huge opportunity for us to to make sure our team is as fit um, as possible. And um, you know if Salem's carrying anything at all and he looks like he's not you know uh, he himself in the last couple of games he's played, why wouldn't you arrest him? I understand the Salem, but are you are you getting a bit too arrogant and not taking Collingwood seriously? Oh, it's a danger. I, mean, I'm agree with Terence. I'm worried about this game. Well, uh, okay. there's only way we lose this game if we don't. It's the same against Adelaide. If we don't bring the pressure, they bring. Can Collingwood bring the pressure Adelaide bring? I don't think so. So we would have to be completely off the boil to lose this match. There is an argument to say if you've got a few players who are struggling and looking forward to the chop out of the bye and you've got players like a Chandler and a Bedford who are, um, even a, um, Oscar Baker who are just rip-roaring and you know d- desperate to get their crack at senior footy, that there's an argument that they might bring an energy that um, players who are starting to sort of flag mid-season, um, you know, they've got no fuel left in the tank. So, um, yeah, it, it might actually help um, our energy. So I think that you've got to be fit. You know, that's going to be the, the biggest factor will be if we can stay fit. And, the, um, you know, a strategy to do that is to give players a chop out now. That Now's the time to do it and to get your best... 22 from round 16 into the end of the season. You've got, you've got to give some players some time out of the game if you can. Well, AMAC in the chat room makes a good point. We've got 10 days rest before the Queen's birthday game, um, or 10 from the last game. Uh, then we've got the bye after that, and he says they'll get a bit of rest after that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's exactly Exactly right. That, that um, if we are going to, this is the opportunity. If we do need to rest a couple, um, then then you then you can do that as as well because of that long break. And Salem probably is is a perfect candidate for that at, at the moment. And um, uh, the other the other thing, I'm not worried about the Collingwood. I watched Collingwood play Geelong. Uh, was it two weeks ago where they didn't score a goal in the first half? Um, it, it was just a horrible game. Um, that, Did you watch them this week? Sorry, I, I didn't see any of the game this week. Uh, no, I watched a bit of it. No, a lot more attacking. They went up. They used the corridor a lot more than they have. And they, you know, the 
the way Melbourne are playing footy these days is to, um, to you know, we're so for, we, we get the ball forward at any given opportunity, and that was the knock on Collingwood that the commentators were making. You know, in the post game analysis, is they were just looking to go sideways all the time. In this game against Crows, they were much more um, forward momentum, and they used the corridor and they took it on. And so, you know, I think they were four or five goals up by the end of the first quarter. So, I, I expect that they might do something similar. Um, and all power to them if they do because we'll bounce it back. But, of course, it's a. I think any game of AFL footy is, um, you know, potential loss if you don't bring your full full pressure. Um, and our system, as, as I was saying, you know, relies so much on their defensive running and spread, that stuff that you don't see on the, the television. You don't really know if your Jordan's running down a wing because the ball's not on that wing, so you can't even see all the running. But if they don't do that level of running, everyone, then we'll, we'll, any team will pick us apart if they're, you know, if they're on. Um, I can't see Collingwood uh, doing it to us. And, and I think we showed in this match, we, we were down in that first half. That was the issue is that we weren't doing that um, defensive running um, like a good footy team um, does. We balanced up at half time. We fixed what we needed to fix. And the effort was the number one thing. We started winning the contests. Um, so I, I can't see Collingwood being able to put enough um, game time together where they'll, you know, stretch us too hard. Um, but, of course, not taking them. You know, I think resting some players, it is an indication of you're not taking the opposition seriously. Um, but you've got to give some players a chop out if they need it. Do you think with uh, Grundy being out, uh, I mean, you said they won't do it to Max, but maybe with Grundy out, that's the week to do it. Yeah, uh, and, and Adams. Yep. And Adams. I mean, look, there's a, a serious question about, uh, you, you know, this is you'd hate to think about, it. you know, Gorn is such a critical player to the uh, Melbourne Footy Club. It's hard to even imagine us being a sort of premiership contender without him. Um, so, you know, it's hard to think about that option, but does you know does Door um, they do come in and spend some time? You know, do, what do you, you need a ruckman, and he's the ruckman, isn't he? He's going to come in. Um, I, I guess Jackson will take number one ruck in that that scenario. Of course, he's not playing, but um, he's not a player who likes to uh, rest, as we found out last mm. year. Um, so I doubt he's going to put his hand up to take a rest. Um, is there any other things tactical about this game you want to talk about or we move on? Well, other than the fact that it'll be interesting to see how they play, they've decided to avoid the blowout. Um, and, you know, I wonder whether a factor was in this game um, that they you know, they saw their opportunity um, against the Crows to win a game. If they chip it around their back half, you know, what Geelong did in that game, just they just allowed them to chip it. They just let them go. Uh, Melbourne will press right up on them and force a turnover. So um, if they do play in that style of just chipping around the, uh, the back line, which they'll do a fair bit of, um, there's a fair chance they'll, they won't get it in. You know, it'll be like one of those little league games. They just won't get it down the end. Um, it'll be stuck up our end for the whole match. Um, and if they do try to cross and do all of that sort of stuff, then we'll, we'll chop that off too. Um, this is sort of a game we could get, we could really throttle Collingwood if, uh, if we're on and they're not, um, and we press right up on them. So, um, yeah, I think that will be the interesting thing. I think uh, I, I'm not sure who's rocking now for them with um, Grundy out. George, do you know who's? No. Okay. Sorry. 
No, so you might end up having, you know, Gorn having a field day marking the ball, which he's not had a great few weeks marking it, um, and probably Wiedemann kicks seven or eight. <laughs> well, look, that's what we want. If, if it takes yep. uh, a Collingwood uh, game like that to get him into form, great. Um, did either of you watch the uh, Carlton West Coast game at the SCG on Sunday afternoon? Um Yes. Did you see the 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 effect the sun has on watching the game? Yeah, it was, it was uh, really critical, uh, particularly in the first half. Um, uh, players just simply couldn't see the ball. It was quite amazing, and um, it was hard to watch as well on the TV. Yeah, yeah, um, it was, it was, yeah. It was, um, I'm hoping uh, for a cloudy day. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> bit of bit of weather is needed in Sydney over, over the next seven days. So, um, yeah, hopefully it won't be as bad as that. Um, but what was inter- I thought was interesting from that game was um, just how far ahead of the middle of the range teams we are at the moment. The way we play, Carlton were just awful. Um, they had multiple opportunities to um, to win the game and they just couldn't. Uh, it was exactly watching like watching us a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, West Coast weren't much better. I don't think there'll be any threat whatsoever come finals time this year um, while they're missing a, a few players. Um, a few players. Yeah. Like <laughs> but, six or seven All-Australians or, or at least three or four All-Australians. Yeah. Pity, um, pity we're not playing them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that, that wasn't the West Coast side that um, – uh, we've come to see in the, in the past, um, but yeah, Carlton Carlton were very 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 ordinary in this, and obviously their season's shot. But um, yeah, it, it'll it'll be interesting. The interesting thing about that game, I did watch a bit of it, um, was the sort of philosophy about doesn't it which wins, offense or defense. Um, and, you know, you compare Melbourne and um, Carlton, who came into this season with lots of people picking Carlton to finish ahead of us, um, and their problem is their defensive structure is all over the shop. But mm. They're just one-on-one. They've got Wiedering. You know, they, they've got some really good players back there. Wiedering is a genuine so- star, but they've got no defensive system. Um, and so they can't stop. Like They, they just couldn't stop the ball uh, transitioning. Um, they couldn't sort of slow uh, West Coast down or, you know, when they got going. And, um, you know, the, that's the problem with a, a game plan that's built around scoring more than the opposition instead of stopping them scoring uh, is flawed. And I think that's one of the exciting things, as I said before, about how we play now is that you can appreciate that defensive system and the structure and, and all of that stuff. But when we do get going and we crushed when we roll over the top of teams we can put five or six goals on which is why that third quarter was just one of the best quarters of footy the d's have played for geez i don't know how long it was just such an exciting quarter of footy and um you know once we get going we can roll over teams offensively you know as as well as anyone else in the uh, afl well i think we might leave it there there were a couple of other things i wanted to talk about but i reckon if we start getting into it this show will go a lot longer uh we can probably talk about this um next week as well just in terms of viney i wanted to talk about whether he was an automatic inclusion into the team so i think we can leave it it's it's still relevant uh come next week uh heading into the bye um welcome to a few new draft uh picks we had the mid-season draft um most likely these guys won't uh, won't see much action this year, but uh, you never know. Uh, 
uh, Kai de Klaas, is that de Klaas? Is that his name? Um, not sure how to say it. And um, who was the other guy? Uh, Daniel Turner uh, was the other guy. And also in the AFLW, we uh, traded uh, for um, uh, Taylor Harris. He's coming back to, to Demonland. It's exciting, isn't it? Um, uh, we really struggled in the AFLW uh, uh, with our forwards um, in this season. I think that might be the difference. This is uh, uh, the opportunity. The, the premiership window is open for the girls as well, and I think Taylor will make a huge difference up forward. We need someone to, to mark and kick goals, don't we? Yeah, yeah. That was a huge um, issue for us in the um, second, or really the finals as well, but... Um, yeah, we need to be able to grab the ball and mark it uh, down there and kick some goals, that's for sure. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to quickly mention, 50,000 members, we hit it for the only the second time ever uh, early in the week, uh, last week. Uh, so, yeah, great effort uh, by all. And uh, you'd think if we would have been a more normal year where, we, uh, you know, they sell tickets uh, outside the ground because I'm not sure they could do that this year. Would have had a few more, but I guess success will bring the people out. So 50,000 is fantastic. I was astounded that we had 3,500, uh, obviously, members turn up to that Sydney game. Um, so that, that's a promising uh, scenario in any case that we got 3,500 people up in Sydney. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And uh, you could really hear, I think in the first half, they were really going hard on the canned um, sounds. But in the last half, you really sort of could hear the crowd getting into it. So, yeah, that was good. What sort of crowd do you expect for uh, the um, um, SCG on Monday? Uh, look, uh, I, I guess it depends on whether Sydney people are going to come out to watch. Uh, you'll, you'd think there'd be. Uh, some Col- the Collingwood would have uh, uh, quite a or much larger base of supporters up there than we do. Uh, they're not going too good this year, but they've had the win this week. They might want to go see their team play because um, I'm sure there's not that many opportunities for them to do that. So that's another factor. So you'll get some in there. You'll get the 3,000 Melbourne plus some others. And it's all going to come down to the Sydney fans, whether they come out and, and embrace the big freeze. I don't know how much they're advertising it or, or what they're doing to try and get people to come. But uh, I don't think you'll have what we had for Dreamtime. Um, but hopefully it doesn't look like the West Coast um, uh, Carlton game. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, that, is it a public holiday there up in Sydney? On the, it must be. Yeah, I, th- I think I read somewhere that only there was one other state that doesn't do it or something. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to um, watch the D's next game at the MCG against the Bombers. Doubting that, um, but we'll see. <laughs> Maybe the week after. All right, uh, boys, thank you very much. Thank you, Binman. Thank you, George. Thank you to Terence uh, calling in. Thank you to everyone in the chat room. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, go Demons. Go Redlegs. Legs.